recording. Hello, everyone. I am Kayla Adams, she, her pronouns, and today I am here with Erica Hanschendahl. <laughs> it's Erica Hokanedal, but yes, she, her pronouns. I appreciate the effort. <laughs> yeah, I did try. Um, it's quite the last name, but... Um, so we really just wanted to welcome you to the very first episode of our podcast, um, the podcast where we discuss how sex and life are not really quite black and white. Uh, so on this podcast, we will be talking about love, sex, relationships, and all the gray areas that tend to get mixed up in between. Perfect. Yeah. And today, specifically um, on this episode, we're going to be talking about cancer um, and the impact that it has on people's sexuality. Um, I think a lot of times when people um, are diagnosed with cancer, sexuality is not something that's often talked about. So for this, yeah, for this episode... For this podcast, we're going to be delving into some of the different types of cancer, the treatments for those types of cancer, and then the impact that it has on sexuality, as well as some coping mechanisms for people that are um, either receiving treatment or out of treatment and in the um, healing phase. And then we're also going to be talking about the healthcare system and how some of the providers uh, tackle cancer and sexuality, because I think it's really important to affirm some of the people that are uh, experiencing cancer right now and also just talk about the limitations in these systems. Definitely. Oh, and then one last thing before I begin, so that we don't assume anybody's gender today, uh, we are going to be referring to people as testy people and ovary people, not as um, men and women as much as possible. Yes, um, please allow some grace with this, but we will do our best. Um, so, I mean, the experience of cancer of any type we know has an impact on sexuality. And today we really just want to focus on those cancers that have the most impact on sexual structures and thus the sexual experience. Um, and those will be things like gynecological cancers, right? Which, just to clarify, um, gyneco gynecological cancers include cervical cancer, fallopian um, cancer, ovaries, uterus, vagina, and vulva, which hopefully you know the difference between vulva and vagina, but if you don't, we will have a whole nother podcast on that next time. <laughs> Definitely. And actually, um, Erica, I don't know if you know this, but in 2020, the American Cancer Society estimates that there's going to be about 13,000 new cases of cervical cancer and about 21,000 new cases of ovarian cancer in the U.S. I so, did not know that, actually. Those are some pretty astounding statistics. Absolutely. So this is affecting a ton of people in a number of ways. Uh, we will also be discussing today prostate cancer, which does have the most impact on individuals with testes. And other than skin cancer, prostate cancer is the most common cancer in American people with testes. And there's an estimate there will be about 200,000 new cases of prostate cancer in 2020. Uh, so something to look at as well. And of course, we will be talking about breast cancer, uh, which doesn't necessarily impact sexual structures. Um, well, it actually does, right? So our breasts are often seen as sexual structures, depending on how we, we experience them. But it also has an impact on other ways, such as body image, uh, self-esteem. Uh, and we do know that there's going to be, you know, over 200,000 new cases of breast cancer diagnosed in the U.S. 
Yeah, Kayla, you know, a couple of things that just came up for me when I was listening to those statistics is one, um, between all of those numbers, not only are the people um, diagnosed with cancer having to deal with their um, sex and sexuality and the issues that can come up, but also their partners. So if you combine that, you know, that's well over 800,000 people or give or take in the next um, year or two that are going to be dealing with the impacts of cancer on their sexuality. And then the other aspect that I thought about is that we cannot forget testy people in breast cancer. We often talk about ovary people and um, it, the impact of breast cancer, but testy people also can have breast cancer and it can impact their self-esteem as well. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. Yeah, that is a piece that does get overlooked. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so before we dive into some of the coping mechanisms um, of how cancer impacts people's sexuality. I want to talk about some of the major treatments for the cancers that we've already discussed. So the three major treatments in, um, or cancer treatments are chemotherapy, radiation, and then different types of surgery. Um, I'll be talking a little bit more about ovary people, and then Kayla will be talking a little bit more um, about, uh, or excuse me, I'll be talking about chemotherapy and radiation, and Kayla will be talking a little bit more about the surgery. Mm -hmm. So for ovary people, chemotherapy can damage the ovaries, um, can cause a lot of hormonal changes, and then either temporarily or permanently cause menopause in ovary people. So yeah, so especially those people who are at a younger age. So you think about, you know, somebody in their 20 or 20s or 30s um, and having an early menopause, it can be really significant on their ability to, um, have babies, um, on their, in their fertility, um, which can cause a lot of, uh, negative impacts on their relationship and mental health and just image of oneself. Um, you can only imagine if someone grew up thinking they're going to be a mom their whole life. And now this cancer treatment is taking away that possibility. Yeah. And how it will affect then the relationships they may be in now or in the future. Absolutely. Um, we'll talk about that too a little bit more, I think, later, the, the relational aspects. But there's definitely a lot to consider um, with fertility and cancer treatments and what that, that means to a couple. Um, radiation can also cause uh, menopause in ovary people, as well as impact the vaginal lining and a person's ability to self-lubricate. So when I say self-lubricate, um, like there's obviously a lot of ways that we can use uh, different lubricants, but just a ovaries person ability to become uh, lubricated or wet themselves. Um, so radiation can also cause scarring of the vaginal wall, leading to uh, something that's vaginal atrophy. So can you just for a second uh, explain what vaginal atrophy is, Erica? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so vaginal atrophy is actually the thinning of the vaginal wall. It can cause dryness, inflammation, um, and vaginal atrophy, and as well as a lot of the other uh, side effects that we've talked about can lead to dyspareunia or painful sexual intercourse. So a lot of these can cause um, significant pain for ovary people, which, you know, is going to limit their ability to have pleasurable um, sexual experiences and maybe some of the ways they were used to. Yeah. And, and all of those that you mentioned, Erica, have, you know, an impact on sexuality, but at the same time, things like surgery. So surgery often becomes necessary when it comes to a cancer treatment or diagnosis. 
um, and they can have some of these same effects that chemotherapy and radiation do. So surgery can impact the reproductive organs. For example, if someone with ovaries needs to have a hysterectomy because there is some type of cancer in there that needs to be pulled out, um, you talked about infertility and how does that affect their views of themselves, right. when they relate to others, their relationships, when they lose that part of themselves. Um, and again, can also lead to that body image issues or dysphoria. Absolutely, especially breast cancer, which we've mentioned um, already. If somebody has to have a, either um, one mastectomy or a double mastectomy, that can cause a lot of issues on their um, you know, body image, self-esteem, which can impact libido, sexual arousal, desire. Like there's a lot of cascading impacts that these treatments can have. Um, and we've talked a lot about, you know, ovary people and the impacts of cancer treatment, but I definitely want to talk about testy people and specifically prostate cancer. Um, as you said, I, I believe you mentioned that there's going to be maybe around 200,000 potential cases. So yeah. this is definitely a big deal. Um, you know, in thinking about chemotherapy and radiation, these can cause urinary incontinence, infertility, erectile dysfunction, and then different rectile issues. So it can lead to diarrhea and it can lead to rectal bleeding, actually. And I've actually heard a, a ton um, about erectile dysfunction or ED as opposed to prostate cancer. Right. It's definitely the most commonly talked about when it comes to prostate cancer. Um, I think it has one of the more well-known impacts on um, somebody's sexuality if they're unable to get an erection. But the other side effects that I talked about, the incontinence and the rectal issues, can cause a lot of other side effects as well, um, such as depression, anxiety, uncomfortability with one's own body, and self-esteem issues related to the lack of control. Um, if you couldn't control when you had to use the facilities or... Um, yeah, just some of these other things, it just feels like a loss of power and control over your own body. I mean, just hearing this, I'm thinking about the populations that would be impacted by something like the cancer treatment causing erectile issues or rectal issues, right? And this would probably be especially impactful for gay men, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, not only are you dealing with potential erectile dysfunctions, but also um, anal sex is one of the number one ways that gay men um, express their sexuality and engage in sexual activity. So if you aren't able to do that, there may need to be some discussions around other sexual activities that they can enjoy, but it could be a loss to a, um, a gay couple in not being able to uh, perform this sexual activity together. Absolutely. And anyone who engages in True. You know, anal play, anal Absolutely. sex. Um, Absolutely, that's right. They're like anyone that has anal sex. This could be a significant impact, impactful um, side effect. Totally. So I mean, we we've talked a lot, um, Erica, about the physical um, effects of cancer and its treatment, right? And how it can have these crazy effects on our sexuality. But I really don't want to forget that there are a ton of effects on the psychology, the emotional state and the relationship of those with cancer and those close to somebody with cancer. Right. I know we've brought up, you know, infertility a couple of times, but that's what really sticks with me um, in hearing about a lot of these treatments and the impact. And, you know, I think many couples begin their relationship 
under the premise that they would like to be parents and that they are going to become parents biologically, right? A lot of couples don't talk about alternative means to becoming pregnant, um, in vitro adoption, freezing eggs and sperm. Um, they just, they don't really think about these things because they assume that they'll be able to get pregnant, um, biologically. And I think that it can have a lot of um, issues on a couple if you have never had this discussion and it can cause a lot of guilt for the person with cancer, um, maybe not being able to provide their partner with a baby. Um, yeah, maybe their partner just is adamant about having biological kids and maybe this causes a lot of uh, distress in their relationship. So absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. So, so I mean, it brings to mind how individuals in monogamous relationships um, that have been affected by cancer can, this can completely impede, you know, their sex life, their, you know, future plans for kids and their ability to connect with each other through their sexual experiences. I know that's a really big one. If you are in a monogamous relationship and one of you is experiencing cancer that is severely limiting your ability to enjoy sex or feel sexual or have a libido, what does that mean for that monogamous relationship and its boundaries, right? Absolutely. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about that, but there's also something to be said about non-monogamous individuals and how limited sexuality may impact them as well. Yeah. And I mean, coming to mind is a situation, what if someone is a swinger, right? And they get cancer and that could completely remove them from their community. Maybe their um, immune immune system is compromised. Right. And um, they're not able to go to events or parties or uh, enjoy playing with different partners. And then how does that then affect their relationships if they have multiple partners? If their partner is still interested in monogamy, would they be comfortable being involved without their partner who can no longer be involved? And what does that look like? So a lot to be considered. I will say just on the inverse of that, Kayla, like it can be, um, I think maybe detrimental to a couple, but it also can be um, a potential coping mechanism for those that are in non-monogamous relationships. Say one partner, the partner that has cancer cannot be sexual and they're comfortable with their um, significant other being sexual with other people. It may (laughs) fill that void of lack of sexuality for the partner that, you know, does not have cancer. So the cancer patient may feel um, that they can give their partner something by encouraging them to have sex with other people. So I think it can also be a way of community building um, and getting needs met during this difficult time. Absolutely. Uh, And if they're open to it, right? Yeah. If if they're open to it, (laughs) clear communication (laughs) is great in this area. Um, I think, Something else that we mentioned too a couple of times is this idea of body image Mm -hmm. and what cancer um, can do to one's self-esteem and body image, Um, especially considering the societal standards of what is beautiful, what is quote unquote normal, um, what is accepted. Um, So I think that with cancer, it can affect a lot of people's idea of what is feminine or what is female, what is womanly, what is masculine and male so if you have again that double mastectomy it could impact somebody's idea of what is beautiful and feminine um they could feel like a lacking potentially and then for men erectile dysfunction or um being able to get an erection is so 
closely related to their concepts of masculinity and what what they embody as being masculine. So not being able to get those erections can really um, hinder people's ideas of masculinity and their self-esteem around that. Totally. I mean, body image um, and even just self-image of who you are as a person and who your partner is. So something that comes to mind for me is is often when uh, somebody is sick and they have a partner who is taking care of them, they go into caretaker mode, right? Right. For them, that's, you know, I'm caring for my partner with cancer. And often it may be like having to carry them to and from the bathroom or cleaning up after they've, you know, had to throw up because of the chemotherapy. Um, And so at that point, it may be really difficult to be aroused by that partner because you're in that caretaker role, because you're not able to, you know, see them in that light anymore. And at the same time, you know, we're seeing changes in your own body. So if you're going through cancer and you're seeing those, that hair loss that you talked about, you know, and, and that loss of your erectile functioning and how does your partner then view you now that you're not this person that you maybe used to be and functioning the way that you used to function. So not only like, you know, self body image issues, but maybe your partner isn't attracted to you in the same way as they used to be. And they need some, um, guidance and assistance to get back to that a similar level of attraction or finding new things that are beautiful about this person, right? Totally, Definitely. Absolutely. So something I want to um, have you speak to a little bit, uh, Kayla, at this point is the medical community because, mm-hmm. you know, I think there are a lot of issues in the medical community and how we approach cancer and sexuality. Um, so, yeah, I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. I mean, the medical community is that first line, right? So when someone is afraid or getting misdiagnosed, that's their that's their lifeline. Medical community ha- plays a huge role in the experience of cancer. So we often ask ourselves, what happens when your provider, your doctor, your nurse practitioner, your nurse is treating you, but they don't discuss the implications for your sexuality, right. which we are finding is happening more and more. Um, a lot of doctors will not tell a patient how a treatment will affect, you know, their erections or affect their ability to self-lubricate or affect their libido or their sex drive. Um, and what we found actually, Erica, is that most doctors don't discuss this because they don't feel equipped to discuss it. Which is so sad. That's just heartbreaking that they just avoid it because they don't have the knowledge and experience about this, which is part of why we want to make this podcast to (laughs) let people know that there is information out there, even if they're not getting it from their healthcare provider. (laughs) Absolutely. And that, and that, that is something I feel that's been missed in the medical training in much, many of our schools uh, is that we're not providing the doctors with the knowledge to have these discussions that are extremely important. Um, And at the same time, I'm also hearing from a lot of cancer patients that doctors don't have this discussion because they feel like in the face of a cancer diagnosis, sex is not important. Which is just bananas to me, right? Right. Like it, it... Sexuality can be such a, um, a healing factor, a respite for cancer patients, both psychologically and physically, right? Like it's a way to connect with your partner. It's a way to have pleasure. It's a way to be in the moment and be present, right? And so this can be really helpful and healing and um, powerful for people that are experiencing cancer and not feeling good about their body. So exactly. doctors need to be talking about this. <laughs> You're, you're totally 
totally right. Yeah. I mean, people are going through these life-changing experiences. And especially if sex was extremely important to them, you know, before their diagnosis. Right. Then now to have that pulled away on top of everything else, right. I think is super harmful um, for us to not be supporting that. So definitely something we'll want to look into more when it comes to the relationship of the medical community with cancer patients and sexuality. Right. Kayla, I think we should just start emailing this podcast to all the medical providers and say, please listen. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Let's go. We got this for you. We'll do talks. We got this. <laughs> all right. So I do want to talk about some of the coping mechanisms or treatments that people can use that will um, uh, enhance their ability to be sexual while going through uh, cancer treatments or after cancer treatments. So one of the biggest ones, we talked a lot about early menopause and estrogen and the impacts that it can have on ovary people's bodies. Um, so hormone replacement therapies are essential. Um so there are oral, um, you can take either oral estrogen or there's vaginal estrogen, which is either a cream or a gel that you put into the vagina, um, which can help, uh, the oral medication can help delay menopause and reduce vaginal atrophy. And then the vaginal estrogen can help strengthen the vaginal walls and eat, increase some of that elasticity that might have been lost during the treatment. Okay, so that's amazing. There seems to be a lot of different ways to kind of combat. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are some side effects. Like you always have to be careful when taking estrogen for high blood pressure. Um, it can cause headaches. Um, so there, it does need to be closely monitored whenever you're messing with your hormones, but it can, is a, it is an opportunity to rebalance, uh, some of the hormonal imbalances that happen during treatment. Um, and I've definitely spoken to a couple of people who have had, the vaginal atrophy and the thinning of the vaginal wall and who have used the gel or the cream. Um, and it actually really helped to strengthen their vaginal wall and didn't have some of the side effects of the oral medication. So really awesome options. A couple other uh, treatment methods for ovary people include vaginal lubricants and moisturizers. Um, for those who have issues with self self-lubricating, there are lots of lubricants on the market these days. <laughs> Try them out. Look at the ingredients. Make sure that it fits for your body and your partner. Um, but there's flavors. There's different variety. <laughs> I mean, you, you can have fun with this for sure. Yes. Um, spit is not lube, people. Spit, spit is not lube. Not lube. <laughs> it, is, it is an emergency lube, you know, if you have nothing else. But please buy some lubricant. Whether you're doing it for yourself or with a partner, um, experiment with it. There's no shame. Um, yeah, I have a lot of opinions about self-lubricating and the um, judgments we have on ourselves, especially as ovary people. Um, but that is going to be for another podcast. So <laughs> the last treatment for ovary people is that oftentimes, like we said, with chemotherapy, there can be scar tissue buildup. So you can use a vaginal dilator. Um to enlarge or stretch the tissue, which can help with elasticity, which will increase your ability to um, have penetration and have that penetration feel good. All right. Yes. That's amazing. And at the same time, I mean, I know you discussed earlier that, you know, erectile dysfunction is kind of the biggest effect we see when it comes to testing people and their experience of cancer treatment. Um, and just like there are ways to alleviate some of those effects, 
uh, with those with ovaries. There are also some great ways for testing people to kind of alleviate some of that erectile dysfunction that they may be dealing with. Um, Definitely. I feel like I've heard a lot of different medications that can be used for erectile dysfunctions. I know there are a couple of other methods that you could maybe explain, but I feel like medications are pretty popular. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the most common we hear, right? No matter the cause of erectile dysfunction, the the kind of popular and the first thing we hear about are those oral medications. So things like Cialis or Viagra, you know, which are technically like their street names. But these pills can do a lot in terms of helping to regain some of that erectile functioning. Mm -hmm. Um, There are also other, you know, great ways, uh, depending on your needs, of gaining back your erectile functioning. So there are injection medicines mm-hmm. where what you'll do is you'll inject the medicine directly into the penis before intercourse. Um, that's called intravenous injection therapy. Mm-hmm. And it really induces those vasodilators directly into the erectile tissue that help kind of move the blood flow to that area. So great way a lot of people have been using it. It's not as popular. I was um, going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, I think this is an excellent option for people if some of the other methods don't work but I don't know about you but if I talk to my partner about sticking a needle in his penis he might be a little bit nervous however it's really great to have options (laughs) yes that's not the uh, most exciting option for many especially because it's really inconvenient actually right you'd have to do it right before intercourse right so as sexy as putting a needle in your penis is before intercourse you know that might not be the option lose some of that spontaneity Exactly. Right. Um, and at the same time, there are some other um, kind of items that we've seen used, like the vacuum constrictive device, which is often called the penis pump. We've seen in movies such as Austin Powers. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I feel like those are usually used with a tourniquet, right? Or like a cock ring to kind of keep the blood flow in. Absolutely. Yeah. So what you'll do is you'll put your penis in the vacuum, right? And you'll draw air out of the vacuum, which draws the blood into the penis, causing the erection. And as a way to kind of keep that erection there is that you'll put that tourniquet or cock ring around the base of the penis to keep the blood in the penis. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, we have your intraurethral medication, which, similar to the injections, is a drug that you'll put directly into the penis. So this is a suppository mm-hmm. that goes to the tip of the penis right, uh, right, right before intercourse. So again, not the most glamorous uh, way to get that erection, but definitely they've seen a lot of people who have at least enjoyed using it for a short time. Sure. Uh, and then the last one is like kind of the more extreme option. If none of these have worked and you're, you know, you're just not able to regain your erectile either psychologically or, you know, pharmacologically, the penile implant is an option. And with that, there's these flexible rods or inflatable tubes that they'll surgically insert into the erectile tissue of the penis. Mm -hmm. And that will enable an erection either through a pump or just the rods themselves um, that will give you enough um, erection like for the penetration or the sexual activity. Right. So those are definitely the options in terms of, like, if I'm experiencing ED, or ED in general that you have um, if you want to regain your erection. Yeah, it's awesome that there are so many different methods for people. Um, We definitely 
recommend obviously talking to your healthcare provider uh, when trying to explore these different options, maybe looking at some forums to see what people's experiences have been, and also maybe talking to a therapist or, you know, really having a good conversation with your partner about what the end goal is. What is it that you're looking for? So what's the end goal? And, and can I gain my erection back in a way that's not just pharmacological? Cause I know there's a lot right. of ways to regain sexuality um, that don't always have to do with medication. Sex therapies. Come to us. <laughs> right. Call here. us up. We got you. <laughs> so um, a couple quick uh, last things we want to talk about are, you know, we've talked about some of the, the um, coping mechanisms or treatments for uh, the physical aspects for people experiencing cancer. But we definitely need to talk a little bit about the relational aspects that cancer can have mm-hmm. and um, some of the different uh, methods or treatments that people can use. So one of my personal favorites is sensate-focused therapy, um, which I use for a lot of people that have sexual dysfunctions or problems. And, I mean, a lot of people may not be super familiar with this, so can you kind of explain a little bit more about sensate-focused therapy? Yeah, um, absolutely. So sensate-focused therapy is a therapeutic approach in which a couple gradually progresses um, in their sexual activity. So they typically start with um, sensual self-touch or masturbation, uh, completely solo, without their partner. They explore what feels good in their body, what may cause them pain, um, and they really tap into what's feeling good and and affirming um, during their sexual experiences, just on their own or masturbation. And then they go into um, some partner masturbation, maybe with their partner there, and again, still communicating to partner touch, gentle little touching, and then intercourse, however you define that with your partner. Um, heterosexual, it's penal, penis and vagina penetration. Um, so it's a really gradual therapy in which there's a lot of communication and a lot of self-exploration into what is pleasurable and um, exciting and what makes you get aroused and what makes you have desire for sex and sexuality. Um, I think for cancer survivors, uh, sensate-focused therapy will help them discover new ways of experiencing pleasure during treatment 